Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. The Hoop Talk Podcast is back again on the interview grind, and we have a very special guest today here on the Hoop Talk Podcast. She works for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, the G League affiliate team of the Houston Rockets as a digital host and a sideline reporter. She also has her own YouTube channel, Heels on Hardwood. All the links are going to be in the description below when we upload the episode. So everybody, please welcome to the podcast, April Marie. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for having me today. So April, how are you doing today? I am blessed and highly favored. How are y'all doing? We're doing great today. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself and where are you from? Yeah, so um, I'm actually not from the Valley. Um, I moved here five years ago, um, originally born and raised in El Paso, Texas, uh, lived there my entire life. Um, once I did finish my master's degree over at UTEP is when I decided to um, take a job opportunity down here in the Valley working with the Vipers. So what got you into journalism? Um, it actually didn't always, so journalism was something that I was always passionate about. I grew up watching, um, a lot of women reporting, whether that was, um, Oprah Winfrey, whether that was Barbara Walters, whether that was, um, any woman really behind a camera, I've always had like a passion for it. However, while I was going to school, I actually had a mentor of mine who worked for the TV station that I was interning for at the time, kind of um, shut down that dream of mine. And he flat out told me like, you're not going to make it one because you're a woman and two, because you're a Hispanic woman. And, and unfortunately, as the more that I thought about his comments, the more that I actually started to believe them. So I convinced myself that I wanted to become a sports agent. And I actually took the LSATs. I got into law school um, to study sports law. Those are my intentions. But when it got, you know, when things leading up to law school got very serious, like packing, moving, getting a dorm, doing all of those things, that's when my dad actually was like, you know what? Like, I feel like this is not what you want to do. Like, you need to be honest with yourself. If this, if this is not what you want to do, you know, you need to make up your mind now because law school is another three years and you did just finish your, your master's degree. So I, I flat out told him, you know what? I don't want to go to law school. I don't want to be a sports agent. I actually want to be a sideline reporter. And my mom and my dad flat out were like, there it is. We knew that's what you wanted to do. That's April that we know. Um, and so, yeah, it's something that I kind of always internally knew growing up and now being able to actually do it. And the reward that I get from reporting is like confirmation to myself that I made the right choice. So, April, we're going to transition to like you getting into the basketball space because you mentioned wanting to be a sideline reporter. We're going to talk about like why that was something that you wanted to do, where you got to. Um, how you got into the space with Rio Grande. But I want to ask you a question that has to do with what you just told us about um, kind of being denied this access, right? You've had multiple people tell you no. You've also had the, the backing of people telling you, yes, you can. This is where your direction is. What are some of the things that you've taken away from like those earlier encounters? Because 
you know, we always have cheerleaders behind us to support us. And there's there's in this space specifically, those are the kind of people you need the most because it's a, a hard nosed business. I think we all have a pretty decent understanding of that. But there's a lot of people on the other side of the spectrum that are always pointing the finger, telling people no, being a bit of a a good way to phrase this is being a hard ass. <laughs> and it's one of those things that's kind of, you know, hard to cope with. So, like, what are some of your takeaways from just some of the things that you've learned seeing both sides of that coin? Um, I think it definitely prepared me. I think everything that happens to any individual throughout their life, there's always purpose behind that. During that time or period of time in my life, I didn't actually see it, but he was preparing me because the further that I get into this career, unfortunately, I still face those types of um, rejections. So it's only helped me create a a much um, tougher exterior but at the same time, really reigniting my passion. And to be honest, I feel like it's only, it's only driven me more. The more people tell me no, the more I'm like, well, why not? Well, okay, let me show you then. Well, okay, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but let me show you why I can do it. So I've always, before I would kind of, it would hinder me and I would really dwell in people's comments. But as I grew up and I became more involved in the field and kind of um, really got to play the role of a sideline reporter and kind of just going off of the endorphins that it gave me, I was like, wait a minute, I am well capable of doing this. I belong here. Um, If there's not a seat at the table, I'm going to look for a chair and I'm going to pull up myself. And I think that's really what it is. Like it's, it's given me the opportunity to um, become more self-driven. Now that's not to say that it was easy by any means, you know, it's, it hasn't been easy whatsoever, Um, But it's definitely necessary. And I think, again, as I mentioned, I feel like the higher you continue to go in this career, um, the more, more than likely, I'm going to end up facing these types of uh, scenarios. So let's get into the sideline reporter gig specifically. First of all, what like drove you to that? Like we had we had a discussion, obviously, earlier, you touched on some of the women in media that you've kind of drawn inspiration from but sideline reporter is a little specific a little specific in terms of the drive let's talk about what led you to that and like some of your earlier steps in terms of um getting towards this right so um media women in media have always really drawn i've always been really drawn to women in media but when it came to sports i grew up watching a lot of um aaron andrews listening to doris burke Um, Anytime that I was hanging out with my dad, with my grandpa, like we were always watching either a basketball game or um, a football game. So I knew that I wanted to work in media. But when it came to sports, sports was almost just like a natural, almost like a natural high for me, to be completely honest with you. Like, and sports was one of those things where I noticed that there was never any sort of negative energy when you watch the news there's always a downer right some people avoid watching the news because everything on the news is sad but when it comes to super bowl sundays everybody wants to eat everybody wants to have fun plays bids enjoy time with family watch the halftime show and that's really kind of like what geared me towards wanting to go to sports because i saw how happy it made other people and at the same time i grew up very athletic um i would i never grew up like 
you know, being a cheerleader or a dancer. No, 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 no. I grew up being a basketball player. Um, I grew up being a swimmer. I competed very strictly in when it came to the world of swimming. Um, my dad was a coach for midnight basketball. I remember being nine years old and my dad waking me up at like 11, 15 at night. Hey, put your shoes on. I'm going to go coach. He would take me to games and my mom would be livid because I'd be so tired for school the next day. But I just I loved it with the passion just being around it. And, and yeah, that's kind of like, I guess, where the passion stemmed from. And when I got into high school, and into college, um, I really started to immerse myself into the athletics departments. Um, It literally got to the point where our athletic director sat me down and was like, you need to go home because I'm not paying you, but you're always here. And I flat out (laughs) told him, I said, you know what? Um, I don't do anything else. This is where I want to be. I want to learn everything. I don't care if I'm learning about tennis, about golf, volleyball, football. That's the beauty of college athletics. I got to learn a little bit about every sport that we offered at Division One University. Um, and he didn't tell me no. He's like, you know what, if she wants to do it, by all means, like, we're going to give her the opportunity to do that. And eventually that led to me becoming um, a graduate assistant. And I was able to kind of focus more or narrow down the sports that I really wanted to to ultimately work in. And that's when I nailed it down to women's basketball and men's basketball. And in particular, I was doing um, manual stats for the women's basketball team, um, helping out with that. And, and I just fell in love with it. And I was like, you know what? I'm obviously not going to the WNBA, but if there's some way that I can still be um, immersed in the world, like this is where I want to be. And that's kind of just where it took off. And um, yeah, huge shout out to to UTEP, to Mark Bruner, um, Chris Park, like they, they've all had like a huge influence um, when it comes to to me doing what I'm doing now. So I kind of want to transition to the Rio Grande Valley aspect of it because you like 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 I mentioned earlier, digital host and sideline reporter for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. So how did you get involved with the Vipers organization? Um, I actually got really lucky, to be quite honest with you. Um, once I finished my uh, my master's degree, um, unfortunately, where I was at at UTEP. Unless there was like a position open, um, they would offer it to me, but they couldn't necessarily create one for me. Um, And during my time at UTEP, um, we actually used to play UTRGV for like pre-games or preseason games. They weren't in our same conference because they're part of the WAC and we're part of Conference uh, USA. Uh, But when these teams would go, I would mingle with like their assistant coaches, with their coaches, their staff, athletic trainers. And I ended up meeting this gentleman by the name of Jay Stedman, who was um, a head assistant coach down here at UTRGV. Um, he was very friendly. And, and the first thing that I always remember from him was like, hey, if you need a job, let me know, let me know. And so as soon as I decided not to go to law school, for whatever reason, you know, his, his name came to mind and I was like, wait a minute. I, and personally, I thought to myself, like, maybe he can get me in at the university as a sideline reporter, you know, like that was my, the first thing that I had thought initially. So when I reached out to him, this is a true story. When I reached out to him, his wife actually answered me and she told me he was dying. 
she was like, he, yeah, she was like, he's in the hospital and he's dying. So you can imagine me asking this man for a job and then finding out he's dying. Like I felt so bad. But anyways, um, I obviously, you know, gave her my condolences. I was super sad about the whole situation. Didn't expect that to happen. Four days later, this man calls me, literally, and bear with a whisper. And he's like, it's Jay Steadman. Um, I just got of the ICU today. They told me you need a job. I'm about to make a call real quick. I'll call you back. When I tell you my hand was shaking because this man was literally like on his deathbed like four days prior. And he calls me back literally five minutes later. He's like, hey, April, I'm about to put you on a three-way call. Puts me on a three-way call. Uh, Bert, are you there? Yes. Uh, Bert, this is April. Um, I met her. She's over at UTEP. She just finished X, Y, and Z, giving him like a rundown of my resume. April, this is Bert, the president of the Vipers. And Bert was like, um, you have an interview on Friday, so uh, 10 a.m. I hope you're here. And I was on a Wednesday. Yeah, so my interview was that Friday. And so I managed to like book a flight, show up on Friday, 10 a.m., and the rest is history. And I owe it all to Coach Stedman. And he lived. So that, obviously, like, that's the awesome part. He lived. Yeah, I know. Okay, so- so I have to okay. So I have to ask a follow up question on this because one of one of two things. Okay, one obviously the dramatics of the story a gives book. it that's a book right so there. much right, so much right there is so much to pull away from. But something else that I wanted to touch on was something specific that you said was that you got lucky. This was to the start of um, your story, and I want to ask you about that because me and Ryan have been doing this for a little bit, and with the people we've talked to, that phrase comes up so often and and I think it's such an interesting thing because a lot of people think that sometimes it comes down to the work you put in and different things like that and the connections you have and this that, and the third and I do think that all of that stuff is a huge factor mm-hmm. but this luck element that keeps coming up is one of those things that I feel like is a real defining like moment or defining element in whether or not you can like break into this space what are your thoughts on like that in terms of like just being lucky in in this space to be able to, you know? I mean, I I think it de- maybe we have different understandings of the term of luck cuz okay. um I definitely feel like, you know, there's different versions of being lucky. Like if you win the lottery, like damn, you're lucky, you know? But <laughs> when it comes to breaking into the sports world, I think it's almost like being at the right place at the right time I feel like that has a lot to do with it and it also has a lot to do with particularly in this world just like the the persistence I feel like it takes a very special kind of person to have any type of future in in the sports world whether you're a reporter whether you're an athletic trainer whether you're a coach it doesn't matter what you're doing I think just being in the sports world is very hard and the reason it's difficult is because Once these people are set in these positions, they typically do not leave, you know, from these huge roles that they have. It's it's really the turnover rate is rare. If you work for the Chicago Bulls, there's no way in hell you're about to go work at the HEB, you know, from one day to another. So I think I think it's a mixture of both luck, but it's also a mixture of being persistent and being at the right place at, at the right time. And just everything, I think, just like 
lining up. But I think it's also very important that in the midst of that grind, that you're prepared, like you got to be ready to go. And that's the way that I think of it. I think of myself as like a track star, like the same way the track star has to be ready. Hey, you got to be in shape. You got to be make sure your endurance is up is up to par, like your muscles got to be relaxed, like your diet has to be on point. Like I see what I do the exact same way, because at the end of the day, my agent can call me at any moment and be like, hey, um, Turner Sports wants you to go and and do, you know, X, Y and Z or ESPN wants me to send you um, uh, send them a reel of you. Or so-and-so wants you to do an interview of this. And if I'm not prepared, if I'm not um, up to date with what's going on in in the sports world, if I'm not constantly trying to um, make myself better in my own craft, I think, you know, those things play huge factors um, as well in trying to to get into the space. So Ryan, she threw me an alley-oop as most of our guests end up doing. So I'm going to use this as a segue into... Another follow-up question, which is kind of, it's a very general one, but it builds off your idea of always staying ready, this being on the grind level. Okay, so tell us, let the listeners know, what is a day in the life of April like then? What is that like? Um, It varies. Okay, so that's another reason why I like this this, um, career is because every day is different. I can't do your typical sit at a desk, you know, do this, do that. I, I don't do good with routine. So it's constantly always changing. Um, but usually 9 a.m. or, yeah, my day starts right at 9 a.m., sometimes even earlier, depending on what I'm doing. I'm always watching some type of first take or ESPN on my phone to just kind of stay up to date. Or I'll be listening to a podcast. Um, I usually enjoy doing that as well. Um, I'm always trying to keep up with different stats and trends that go on, you know, throughout the league. A lot of... Um, uh, for example, our team just played last night against the Sioux Falls Sky Force. So I'm always reading, you know, press releases from both teams, obviously our team, as well as um, the opponent's team, just to see if there were any trends, anything happened big that I should be made aware of. It, it's It really just all depends. There's never, there's never like a set schedule, I guess you could say. It's always constantly evolving. And the majority of the time, Like I'm doing a lot of footwork, whether that's um, reaching out to other PR departments and telling them, hey, my name is X, Y, and Z. I work for so-and-so. I want to interview X, Y, and Z. Even when I don't have an interview secured with the person, I'm a huge believer in manifestation. So right now I'm currently working on questions that I'm going to ask Fred Van Vliet. Do I have an interview secured with him? No, but in my head, I already do. So I'm preparing myself for that because I've already lined up three people in my head who have avenues towards Fred Van Vliet that I'm also working on because I know they're going to get me to where I ultimately want to be. So I'm constantly planning ahead. That's usually what my day consists of. A lot of uh, manifesting, organizing, um, coming up with questions, listening to games, whether that be um, Cassidy Hubbers, uh, Malika Andrews, obviously the great Doris Burke, whoever it is that had a game the night before, usually on their socials, I'll see that they'll, that they'll go in and they'll post their post-game interviews um, with either the coach or the top player. I know Ali LaForce does this a lot as well. 
and I'll go and I'll listen to them. Okay, how did they ask this question? You know, what was the key takeaway from what she asked? In what manner did she ask it? How can I ask something in this way with it without it sounding the same, but giving it my own personality and my own twist? So I do that too. Like I'm constantly writing potential questions of how I envision myself asking them or how I would want to ask them. Or if a game went in a certain direction, what I feel like a good question would be to potentially ask coach or the player of the game. Um, so that's kind of the way that my mind works and, and what, what I do on a daily basis. So I'm actually interested to kind of know more about that because you, uh, you've also begun with the Houston Rockets as well. You've begun, uh, uh, reporting with the Houston Rockets as well. So like, what has that experience been like so far? Because I know I, it looks like you, you just started working with the Houston Rockets as a reporter. So what are some of your takeaways so far from your first couple of days as a reporter for the Rockets? And see, that's where, that's where, um, that's where my whole quote of if there's no seat at the table, I'm going to grab a chair and pull one up comes from, because although we are an affiliate team, the difference between the RGB Vipers and all the other G league teams, um, in the country is that we are not owned by the Houston Rockets. So for example, the Santa Cruz Warriors and the Golden State Warriors, they are all under the same umbrella. They are all ran together. So they have that huge um, intertwined connection. Their employees work with these employees. Their sponsors work with their sponsors. Everything flows like like clockwork. And unfortunately, when it comes to the Vipers and the Rockets, we don't have that relationship. It's very different, but because we are owned by a sole owner. Uh, we're not owned by the Houston Rockets. So that's what makes things very, um, very different and a little more challenging. And um, not to say that, you know, the driving factor isn't doesn't play a factor as well, because I'm in South Texas, and they're in Houston. Um, but I think it's one of those things where I see it as like, the opportunity is there, their players are our players as well. They have two ways, you know, that belong to us. Um, so there's no reason why I shouldn't be in, you know, in that same um, press room where everybody else is at asking these types of questions. Um, the opportunity to go was amazing. I loved it. Uh, if there's something that I that I really took away from the experience was that nobody's going to wait for you. Like you, you got to be you got to be quick in that in that space because I'm talking about a small room, a massive table where coach is at, where the player, whoever you're interviewing, and like 40 people in a room, literally. And he's only going to answer like five questions. So you better make sure that if you're going to ask a question, like you are the first one to either ask it or be very persistent about it. And again, like um, – these people do not know who I am. Like, I'm not a familiar face. So as soon as I got there, I was like, nice to meet you. I'm April Marie. I was hiding out my, my um, what do they call it? My business cards. Like, they were coupons. I was like, I'm April Marie. I'm April Marie. <laughs> I bet people were getting them. Like, what is this for? And they're like, oh, it's a business card. All disappointed. 
um oh, but man. yeah i was just like that like that and as soon as i saw so many people in the room i was like april you better make sure that you do not you did not drive five hours not to ask your questions like there's no way in hell you need to and i was very like like you know like aggressive but because I feel like you need to be, especially if that is one thing that I learned just with being there during that time is that you have to be because nobody's going to wait for you. Nobody's going to ask, oh, who are you with? Who are you from? Do you have a question? No, 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 no. You know, and I feel like it's it's like that everywhere. That's a Houston Rockets game. Imagine right now the press room with the Philadelphia 76ers now that they have, you know, all of the changes that have been having or even with – um the Nets, you know what I mean? With the addition of Ben Simmons, like, come on, imagine, imagine those press conference rooms. Like you have to be on top of it. Um, so that's one thing that, that I definitely learned from that is that you got to be quick on your feet and you just have to be willing to, I guess, adapt in different situations, adapt in different situations, not be so meek or quiet. This is definitely not a world for somebody who considers themselves, you know, an introvert, uh, you you just have to get it and go, basically. So you mentioned a lot about the interviews, and I kind of want to transition to your YouTube channel as well, because it's very interview based. You've talked with Chris yes. Finch, uh, the head coach now of the Minnesota Timberwolves, former coach of the Vipers. You've talked to players as well, some of the uh, Vipers players like Tyler Bay and Dacian Nix, who actually just got called up to the Rockets, by the way. Right. Um, and then you also talked to Gary Harris as well. So what was sort of the inspiration behind your YouTube channel? And how has it benefited you when you are interviewing players for press conferences? I think I kind of saw it as my opportunity. At the time when I created this YouTube channel, one of the goals that I had had um, planned for myself throughout that calendar year on my dream board was to secure representation. Um, when you're a sideline reporter, unfortunately, there's so much that you can do. And then eventually I get to a wall because that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, a gig on ESPN or TNT or CBS is not posted on, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook. No, like that you need representation because these networks are reaching out to your agent, searching for the talent. So I kind of viewed my YouTube channel as sort of a collection of interviews that I could then add to my reel one day. Um, that's kind of why I wanted to start documenting that. And also I saw it as a way to kind of give me credibility because if you only knew how many players, coaches, agents, GMs that I've messaged on social media and so that you'd be like, Oh my God. Like shout out Kendrick Perkins. Okay. He needs to eventually like answer one of my 85 DMS to him. So, <laughs> but that's literally how I am. Like I'm over and over and over and over and over because in my head, I'm like, eventually one of these people is going to open this, you know what I mean? And that's how I've been able to secure some of these interviews, whether that's reaching out to them on social media, whether that's going through their PR person, whether that's going through a connection of mine, but ultimately, when they came back to me and said, wait a minute, well, who are you? You know, like, what are you doing? 
I could then be like, you know what? My name is April Marie. I'm a sideline reporter for the G League. Here are some of the people that I've interviewed. So you can take a look at kind of, you know, I guess you can say the, the A-listers that, that I've been able to speak with. Um, so that's kind of the way that I see it. And at the same time, I don't do it so much for like, oh, I want to gain subscribers and this, I want to be a YouTuber. Like that's all nice and dandy, but I use it also more so to see my own growth. You know, like look at who I started with, look at how I sounded like, and look at how far I've come. And look at who I'm talking to now. And look at the way that I'm asking questions now. Look at the way that I'm carrying myself now. I see it almost like a mirror. Like, what am I doing with my mouth? What am I doing with my hands? Where am I looking at when I'm asking certain questions? Um, I use it more as a tool and a resource to help me uh, rather than wanting to use it for like popularity or, or any uh, things of, of that nature. So I want to ask you something about that. And it's more in the form of like advice, because from a content creator standpoint, if you want to address it from a woman's perspective, of course you can. But if you want to do it from an overall sports journalism aspect, that's perfectly fine as well. But like from your perspective, what are some things that you would suggest to somebody that wants to get into this game? whether it's from a sidelines uh, reporter standpoint, somebody who wants to create content in this space, whether it's the podcast like me and Ryan do or something in that nature. What is some stuff that you would suggest? Um, I've actually had multiple girls actually reach out to me on social media. And I love getting these types of questions because I think it's really important that we make it uh, or make an effort to always lend a helping hand. Um but I would definitely have to say to to whoever is interested in, in coming into this space is um, don't take no for an answer. Be prepared for those no's. Uh, be prepared to work hard, lose some sleep in the process. Um, and more than anything, just be extremely persistent. This is one of those careers that it can go 80 miles an hour. But then there's days where it goes 15 miles an hour. You know, there's there's times when I feel very stagnant and I'm like, I, I, I'll be disappointed because I, I see these women, you know, on national TV. And I'm like, man, like, what am I doing or what am I not doing that's not allowing me to be there? You know, and I feel like sometimes I can be my hardest critic. So that's I mean, I feel like every human does that. But I think it's important to be kind to yourself, patient with yourself, because at the end of the day, you know, we all have our own purpose. Everybody's journey is is not the same. And I think that's something that I constantly have to remind myself, especially as content creators, you know, we see, you know, people like you all, uh, people who have all of these thousands of followers and just so constant all the time and sometimes at first I used to be hard on myself too because I used to be like man like I need to get an interview every single week but then I was like wait a minute April you're interviewing NBA players and NBA coaches and Ida Barnes who just damn near won the you know women's NCAA championship like they're not available every week like you know what I mean there this that's not the reality of it so you need to have you need to be, you know, patient with yourself. When you secure them, wonderful. Then you prepare and you make sure that you put out the best content possible 
you know, since they are kind of spread out. But in the midst of you waiting, it's important that you continue to grow, continue to learn, continue to see how you can get better and better and better so that the next time you put out a video, people are like, wait a minute, like, wow, like, look at where she started again, and look at where she's at now. So I want to ask one more question before we transition to uh, the Vipers team itself, because there's a lot of different aspects we can break down with this team. But I want to ask you, because two weeks ago, it was National Girls and Women's in Sports Day. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to be a woman in sports? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. That's a book. Um, but I think what it means to me is just not losing myself and enjoying every aspect of being feminine in what's typically known as a male dominated world and never losing that side of myself. That's kind of where heels on hardwood comes to life is because, you know, I am that feminine woman. I do like to wear dresses. I do like to wear heels. I do like to put on lip gloss, but at the same time, I love a good basketball game. And I'm going to ask you the best questions that I possibly can after the game. Um, I think that's really what it is, is just embracing that. uh, But at the same time, making it known that you belong in this space. You know, you're not you're not somebody who people should question. And that's fine if people question it, because like I said, they still to this day still do, unfortunately. But just constantly reminding themselves, reminding them that this is me. This is who I am. And I'm here to stay. I think that's a great way to address it. I think the other thing, too, is honestly, you you kind of said it at the top of your statement about it being its own version of a book. I really think that's something that yeah. um, we we try to we're trying to lean into this space more and more. We've done this over the, the last year and a half, trying to touch on the WNBA as an unrepresented area of the NBA as a part of, of basketball in general. We try to touch on that. Having ladies like yourself on the podcast, I think, is another way to help kind of grow this awareness around the fact that females in sports are here to stay, number one, but number two, that they do excellent work in ways that I think don't get highlighted the way they should. Right. And I think that's, I think that's huge because this is a space that is starting to become more um, co-integrated, I guess is the way for me to, uh, to phrase it. But let's, let's get into your, your, uh, let's get into the nitty gritty of your, your profession a little bit. Right. So RGV is 11 and five after last night. Um, one of the highest scoring teams in the G League. It's not even close to like it's it's pretty insane. One one hundred and twenty five points per game. Mm-hmm. Just your thoughts initially on this squad so far this season. I mean, the squad changes year after year, but I, I'd be biased if I'd say you know one team is better than the other. Obviously, we won a championship one year in twenty nineteen, and okay, so maybe I am a little biased. I love that team. But um, when it comes to Travis, our general manager, the staff over with the Houston Rockets, Coach Mahmood, they always do such a phenomenal job in just locating this talent. When I tell you, when it comes to our um, first two weeks of training camp, I wish, and it's even hard to describe, but I really wish people could really have an insight on that. Just the entire breakdown from just conversations that they have with these players, the workouts, the training, everything. It's its phenomenal. And I think this year we have 
very young talent, but phenomenal talent, phenomenal talent. You just mentioned earlier about uh, Dacia Nix, you know, just recently signing that four-year deal with the Rockets. That's huge. And, I mean, he just turned what? I think it's 20 on February. His birthday was February 13th. I want to say he either turned 20. If he's not 19, he's 20. If he's not 20, he's 21. But he's not older than 21. So that's crazy to me. So let me ask you this as well, just kind of uh, breaking down the team as well, because this team is filled with a lot of young guys, uh, like we mentioned earlier, Dacian Nix, Tyler Bay, and then you also have guys who have NBA experience, like Terrence Ferguson yes. and Gerald Green, trying to mm-hmm. restart their careers and trying to get back into the NBA. So Correct. who are some other players that have really stood out to you on this team that can make it, that have been making an impact this season? Um, I would have to say Traveling Queen is a big one. I don't know if you mentioned him or not. Yeah, Traveling Queen is huge. He's also one of our two ways. He actually just posted a career high last week, 43 points. That was huge, huge in the G League. I remember asking Coach Silas about him specifically, and he was even like, wait, what? He's like, I got to start watching these games. I was like, okay, I'll act like I'm not insulted. But but yeah, like that's that's huge. Traveling Queen stands out for me. Another one who signed actually um, a 10-day hardship deal with the San Antonio Spurs back in, was the beginning of January, end of December, Anthony Lamb. Anthony Lamb is very, very good as well. Super good. Obviously, we have um, Fee. I don't want to butcher his, his full name, but Fee is a huge center for us. Super powerful. Such a nice guy outstanding blocks and plays that he does for us. Uh, Just this huge power force that we have. Um, Who else do we have? We have Christian Vital. He's doing phenomenal. He usually comes off of the bench, but he always comes in clutch. He's a phenomenal shooter for us. So he's, he's awesome. We just have a mixture of everything, including again, Marcus Foster. He's another one for us comes in clutch. Also very good three point shooter. Trey Mitchell, Trey Mitchell is one of those guys. Trey Mitchell, he's he's sneaky. He reminds me of like a, a thief or a robber. Like sometimes he just comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, I forgot you was on this team this whole time. But he comes in clutch sometimes. Um, always such a good attitude. Definitely love him. But when it comes to just like Gerald Green, Dacian Nix, Traveling Queen, I think when it comes to them specifically or this younger group, I should say, is they have this like, and I, honestly, I haven't seen this with other teams in the past that I've worked here with, is like they have like this almost like a an uncensored level of confidence. But it's just like, man, I think to myself, if all of these players on our bench could really tap into this level that they've mastered in, oh my God, I think we would be oh, we would be unstoppable, unstoppable. Because, you know, there's those players who obviously talk trash and so forth. But when you have a player who can talk trash and then drop 43 points or that evening sign a full-on contract with the Rockets, then it's like, oh, okay. Like, they're not all, they're not only talking the talk, but they're walking the walk. Um, so I think that that says a lot. And again, I, I don't... I don't want to leave out Coach Mahmood because Coach Mahmood, when I tell you I feel like I've seen Coach Mahmood progress 
this coach Mamou that you see now, um, or I don't know if you saw the game last night, but this coach Mamou that we see now is not the coach Mamou that I first met when I got here. Um, he was much more, you know, in the background, obviously he wasn't a head coach, but still much more mild manner. And just to see him become this head coach and really take control and his players have this utmost respect for him, you know, when it comes game time, but then when the game ends, still have that fun side to him and can have a conversation with him and can relate to him. I feel like that's the reason why we're also so good on the court is because all of that just translates, um, which is one thing that I feel like Coach Blair mastered during his time here. And the huge key piece or key factor that I feel like that was the reason why we won the championship that year. Because when I would go to some of these practices and man, if if I had like a sensor for every time he threw an F bomb, the whole practice would be like beep, 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 like the whole practice. But as soon as that practice ends, all right, we're all gonna go eat. All right, we're all gonna go bowling. We're all gonna go to top golf. Like that relationship was there. And I feel like when teams lack that chemistry and that real, I guess friendship both on and off the court that's that's what separates I feel like champions from you know people who ultimately don't win look at the Rams just recently I know it's nothing to do with it but look at the dynamic of the Rams they literally act like they're all family like it's one giant barbecue and why are they champions like why if you honestly look at these teams I feel like that plays an integrate part as to why they're so successful so I want to ask you a question. It's based on something you said earlier on, but it also has a lot to do with some of the stuff you addressed in terms of the behind-the-scenes stuff you see throughout the building of this team throughout the season. The thing I wanted to touch on was you said, I'm going to I'm gonna take this and act as, if, as though I'm not insulted. This was related to you talking oh, yeah. to Coach <laughs> Silas about the G League team. The reason why I wanted to bring this up is because whenever we talk to G League guys, we've um, had a couple on Jeffrey Sosa for G League TV being one of them. One of the things that we like to touch on um, and like to get opinions on is just the overall difference in feel from the G League to the NBA. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think I, we get we get similar answers every time we kind of bring this up. But I think everybody's perspective still shares some little nugget that's different because I feel like the G League is a very it's still viewed as a very like underground type league right with a whole lot of different like wholesome values to it and stuff like that as opposed to like the nba that has the guys who might big time you and all that other kind of um added corporate stuff so like what are your what are your thoughts on the difference between the g league and the nba from that i'm very grateful for having my start to be in the g league the g league to me is getting it out the mud like it's that simple the g league to me is like Honestly, like the uh, Dr. Dre album, because, sorry, there's an alarm. Can you hear it? It's all good. You all get it. (laughs) Yeah. But the G League to me is like a Dr. Dre album because all of these players are literally chasing a dream. It's not about it. It's not even about a check. If you talk, if you had the opportunity, that's a beautiful part of my career is I've had the opportunity to have really heartfelt conversations that I didn't even feel needed to be recorded at the time. I didn't feel needed to be shared with the world because 
man, I've had some conversations with some players where they're like legit tears in their eyes when they're talking about something. I'm doing this for my family. I have my why. Like, you don't understand where I've come from, like what this means for my father, for my mother, for my child, you know? And all of these players know that their name can be called at any time because the truth is these two-way contracts, they get rotated all the time. You know, they get taken away, they get given out. Dacia Nix obviously is no longer a two-way, which means there's a two-way contract up for grabs now with currently with the Vipers. And all of these guys know that, which means every single time you're going to see the best put out there on the floor versus when you compare it to the NBA, those guys already made it, you know? Mm-hmm. Sorry. those No, nah, guys- you're okay. <laughs> Those guys already made it. Like, they they already got the money in the bank. They're comfortable. Ben Simmons, like, if I don't want to play, I don't want to play because I'm a millionaire. You know what I mean? And the people in the G League, that's not the case. Like, even I just, um, when I went to Houston, I had a conversation with Coach Nurse. I got to hang out with him for a little bit. And he's just, man, he came from the Vipers too. I have a good relationship with him because he was our coach. He won a championship with us. That was huge. And he tells me the same thing. He's like, I will always love the G League because people who come from the G League know that their opportunity can be taken from them at any moment. And if you notice, I feel like players in the G League who are now in the NBA always act like it's the last NBA game they're going to play in. Look at Gary Payton. Look Mm -hmm. at Gary Payton. Like, he is the perfect example. Like, I love watching him with the Warriors. Anytime that he has a post-game interview, he's always shouting out the G League because he doesn't forget where he came from, literally. Even Fred Van Vliet, that's the reason why I was meeting with Coach Nurse because I was like, you know what? Look at him. He started off in the G League, and look at where he is now. That man is an all-star. Like, who, who can imagine that? Obviously, I'm pretty sure he did, but he manifested that. Like, he worked for that. So to me, I don't really... Like, yes, the only reason I made the comment to him was because we're directly affiliated to him, you know, but when it comes to other people, I don't take that personally at all. If anything, I'm, I, I'm, you know what, I feel bad for you because you're missing out on some really high caliber basketball. The G League to me will always supersede the NBA because these guys want it. And that's kind of the way I've also seen college basketball. I've always loved college basketball for the same reason. All these kids are surviving off of noodles, literally, like noodles and saving up to buy a Scantron. So imagine, imagine like the the level of talent, they're just doing it because they want to get to the the next level. And that to me will always signify more. Okay, so I have one thing to ask you that's based off of a lot of the stuff you said, not only about the the feel around the G League, but for a casual, if you had to describe to a casual that's trying to get into G League basketball, trying to ex- like get a little bit more of an understanding of what this is all about, especially with the kind of hype it's gotten over the last two seasons with the G League night team being incorporated, how would you, in a sentence or two, describe the G League to somebody? Um... Dang, a sentence or two. I, I feel like I just gave an entire monologue. Like <laughs> the man, it's like how can I describe the G League? Uh, I'm trying to 
to me, to me, the G League is like, you know, like when you go to McDonald's and you order a meal and you open the bag and you only ordered small fries, but they gave you large by accident. And you're like, oh man, they, I got large fries, but you have, you're not going to question it. You're going to drive off with your large fries, right? That's to me, that's the G League because people come expecting one thing. You know what I mean? But they leave and they're hooked. They're hooked. They become a fan. They're like, oh my God, if you only knew how many like fan emails I get, hey, can you send me Garrison Matthews jersey? Can you send me uh, Gary Payne's jersey? Can you send me Trev Queen this and that? Oh, what about Gerald Green? Like, I, if I told you the first night that we had Gerald Green here at the game, we had like 150 kids all waiting for him. And this man literally, after he just got off the court, took his time to acknowledge every single child. Like every single child. He didn't complain. He didn't ask for a mask. He wasn't, he didn't have no attitude. He greeted people. He did everything. And that's what you get here when you come to the G League. You know what I mean? Because those people, they know what it's like. They, He's been there. He's done that. But he knows he got to continue to work. That's why he's in the G League. He knows that in the G League, you got to work for it. And that's literally what the G League consists of. That's all around. That's players. That's me, sideline reporters. That's coaches coming up. That's athletic, athletic trainers, equipment managers, everything. Hey, bro, that's the kind of shit we want, bro. <laughs> Ryan, I know we – look, bro, you know you know, we'll mark it as a censor later, bro, but that's the truth, bro. That's the kind of shit that we want to hear because truthfully speaking, like, don't get me wrong. When when you phrase it as, like, out the mud earlier, right, that was one of those things that we hear a lot. And I, I agree. And um, I go back to um what you were saying about Gary Payton II. He's been shouted out on this podcast maybe way too much, honestly, in terms of us talking about not only the Warriors but the G League. Um, he's one of the best perimeter defenders hey, I in get, the NBA I right get now. I be biased though because you know he's, he's a viper. <laughs> he's a viper. For sure, for sure. But that's what I'm saying. Like it's guys like that who come up, and I, I mean, I've said this beforehand. That's one of those guys that I think could be in on all defensive team in the NBA, like at that level within the next year or two. Just because of, I think he's at that level now. He's just not getting the play t- playing time to get considered. But if this man was on the court more frequently. He's easily one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA right now yes. coming from yes. that program. Yes. yes. So, but the but the the references and stuff, like, that's the stuff that we, like, thrive off of when you talk about the G League because I really feel like me and Ryan have agreed on this on camera, off camera, a million times over about this idea that the G League is almost like a league separate from the NBA, right? Like, everybody treats it. Like um, a developmental league. And that's what it always has been brought up as, you know, through the right. D League days and everything like that. And of right. course, that's the understanding, especially with the G League night program, which I'll ask you about that like briefly in a second. But like, especially with the introduction of that and all the eyeballs on it now, it's viewed as this this developmental space for guys. But it's a whole different animal oh, over there. Yeah. So I think that that's one of those things that I really love hearing people point out because it just shows you how different, how just how different, how crazy things can get over there. And just the different feel that you can get from the uh, from the G League as opposed to the NBA. With oh, yeah. that, I want to segue into the, the G League Ignite real quick. We, we, we've gotten a little bit of intel, Ryan. I feel like you, you can agree on this. We've talked to a handful of people about the G League. And um, the, the, key, the key thing that has always come out of our conversations with them 
is with people is that there's still a lot left to figure out. There's still a lot that's not understood, and there's still a lot of um, what's the best way to phrase it? There's a lot of sorting still taking place in terms of the G League Ignite and understanding what its purpose is in this Correct. league moving forward. Correct. What are your thoughts on the G League Ignite team, whether it's the players, the actual program itself? What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Because I feel as though they they are the frat group of the G League. I feel like that's a good way to, to phrase it, considering some of the perks, some of the other things. The G League Ignite team will have a couple players represented at the All-Star Weekend as well. There's a little bit of frat boy stuff going on over there in terms of what they have at their disposal. What what are your thoughts on the G League Ignite program as as a program in its second year, as well as maybe some of the players that you're familiar with? Um, well, again, Dacian Nix, former Ignite player for them, as is Jalen Green, both of them taking or uh, participating in the bubble. That was huge. Uh, that was the first season that we ever saw the Ignite was when they were in the bubble. Um, I definitely love the concept. If I had to give my opinion on what I feel like should be different. I do. I can understand why the perks are given to these certain players. Obviously these are players that we know are going to end up having these NBA careers. Like that's, that's a given. Um, I do like that. They offer these um, young kids, the opportunity, you know, to go straight from high school into this quote unquote developmental league, because the truth is, you know, unfortunately, not everybody wants to go to college and be that that one and done because at the end of the day, you know, they do run the risk of injury in college. And if there's one thing, you know, NCAA isn't offering you is what the Ignite is offering you up front when it comes to cash, you know, and at the end of the day, <laughs> money talks, okay? So <laughs> money talks and, and that's that's just that's just the truth. And again, um, I feel like the reason they do get all of these perks is because these people eventually, for example, Jalen Green was going to become the face of a franchise. So it makes sense why, you know, he gets paid what he got paid or was offered the deal that he was offered. I apologize for that. <laughs> this is how this sausage is made, man. This is how this this is all okay. it's made. Okay, cool. And I was about to say, I'm at the arena. If anything, this just shows you how safe we are also in the G League. We're getting ready for <laughs> any, any exits that need to be made during the game. Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to that. What I am opposed to is I think they should be allowed to play a full season. You know, if they're going to hoop, let them hoop. It's that simple. Like, that's what we want to see. I feel like... They're almost like babies, like, oh, no, well, you know, they're the G League, so we don't want them to get hurt. Well, we don't want them to get hurt in college either, but they didn't want to go there. So they're here now. They're getting paid. If they get hurt, they get hurt. That's just how it is. You know what I mean? That's just how the cookie crumbles. This is a league. They're going to get hurt once they, you know, play play out there with the Rockets, with the Pistons, with the Heat, whoever it is that they that they end up um, being with. But I definitely don't like their the way their season it is um, currently, I guess, um, scheduled out. I know their season also replicates uh, Mexico City because they're our new G League team and they also had that short season. So I don't know if it's just because, you know, their programs are new or whatnot, but I don't see that as an excuse. If you're going to get the perks, if you're going to get the paycheck, you got to play. And I think, 
I think it would be phenomenal if they also didn't pick and choose where these games were played. Like, you know, for a fact, G League ain't night finna play, you know, they're going to play the South Bay Lakers. But what about us? You know what I mean? Like, come bring your plays over here. We want to see them hoop over here at the Burdogden Arena. And I feel like that's where they get, that's where they get kind of like babied and stuff. And I, I don't like that. Like, if, if you're going to stunt, stunt. You know what I mean? That's the way it is. <laughs> For sure. I would pay money to see that. Our RGV and the Ignite team, I think that's going to be a really high-scoring matchup. But I, I want to yeah. kind of talk about these call-ups a little bit because I think what's so interesting is the amount of call-ups heading from uh, last year to this year. And I think the exact number was over 150 call-ups up to this moment in the NBA season. So – I kind of want to get your perspective on the call-ups itself and how impactful they've been so far. But I kind of want, I also want to ask you this. Do you think the NBA owes the G League a debt of gratitude for the amount of players that are coming up from the G League and playing at the level that they are now in the pros? Because we see that with Pascal Siakam. We see that with Fred Van Vliet. He's now an all-star. Specifically looking at Houston, Kevin Porter Jr. has been great for the Rockets. Kenyon Martin Jr., I think he has a lot of upside for this team. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, de- most definitely. The NBA definitely owes that to us. Now, mind you, we're not we're not involved in those contracts, so we really don't know, you know, what those uh, 10-day hardship deals consist of money-wise. But I do feel like the NBA could do a better job of highlighting the talent that currently is here. You know what I mean? Whether it's offering that, that, you know, round of applause to the people that they've called up or just the G League as a whole. And I think it's important that the same way we have ex-former players of ours advocating for the G League during these post-conferences, I think it's important for top personnel to start doing the same thing. Like Adam Silver needs to stop treating us like Mars and start seeing us as like, wait a minute, like we're all we're all together. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you said it. Had it not been for the G League, I don't know where they were going to get these players. I mean, I would assume overseas, but then overseas, like you also run the risk of, you know, them being sick on the way over here. So uh, that's definitely um, something that I feel like the NBA owes the G League um, as a whole. Um, as far as these 10 day hardship deals, I think those deals are, are phenomenal. And I think, again, I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason. Were the circumstances in which it occurred? Was it ideal? No, we don't wish for anybody to be sick. Um, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of these players were just waiting for that opportunity waiting for that opportunity, waiting to kind of showcase what it is that they had to offer, um, you know, because 10 days can turn into 30 days, 40 days, 60 days. Like, that's really what it comes down to. Um, everybody's looking for for a call-up, you know? Shit, I'm looking for a call-up. Like, we all are. That That's just that's just the reality of it. That's, that's the whole, literally the whole business of the G League is wanting to make it onto to the next level. So um, I think that was huge. I think that's also, if you want my personal opinion, I think that's the reason why. I mean, I don't want to speculate, but in my head, I feel like that's also the reason why Gerald Green, you know, retired and unretired so quickly because he kind of saw 
all of these opportunities coming up. And he's like, wait a minute, like I haven't, it hasn't been that long that I stopped hooping, you know, like maybe I can get one of these deals. And like I said, we're, we're not in that room when those contracts are signed. We don't know how many commas are involved in that. So it's like, you know, that that's a huge, a huge um, advantage for, for any player. Um, but I, I, I do think um, we definitely came through for the NBA as a whole. So, April, I got one last question for you before we kind of give the floor to you to kind of, you know, plug everything that you're doing, everything under the sun with that. The last question I have to ask you is really related to, like, your personality, really. This is, like, one of those things where I want to ask something based off the vibe we've picked up from you throughout this podcast. How do you feel like the personality, not only from what you've shown us, but the way that you've gotten yourself to this position, how do you feel like those things have helped contribute to getting you where you are right now? Oh, tremendously. (laughs) I mean, again, this is one of those, this is one of the sports world in general is one of those careers where nobody's going to give it to you. You got to go and get it. You got to have that mentality. Like I may not be a, you know, six, six guard, but at the end of the day, like the same drive, you have it. I have it equally in a pair of six inch heels. Like it's, it's that simple. Um, I'm, I'm a get it out the mud kind of girl, like Monday through Sunday, you know what I mean? Like you, you have to be, um, and I'm also a firm believer in, um, if you want something, you got to be willing to give something, you know, like when you guys reached out to me and asked me to do this podcast, um, I don't like saying no to people because at the end of the day, like I'm not Doris Burke, (laughs) you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not Barbara Walters. I'm not Cassidy Hubbard. And even if I was like, I still need to make time to, you know, to talk to these people. And I, I even look at that and I comment this to myself when I'm having small conversations with like Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse didn't have to sit down and have lunch with me. You know what I mean? Like, who am I to Nick Nurse? But he took the time out of his day on a game day to sit down and have a conversation with me. So who am I, you know what I mean, to tell somebody no when they're trying to get it out the mud themselves? You know what I mean? So that's the way that I see it. I'm a firm believer in that. Like, you got to be that type of person. You got to be willing to lend a a helping hand. You're never too busy to not be able to make things work or arrange things. So at the end of the day, like, you get what you need and I got what I needed. You know what I mean? So um, definitely a firm believer in that. For sure. I just like, like I said, I just felt like it's one of those things where we, we have a lot of different personalities coming to this podcast. Yours is one of those that definitely radiated early as we got third throughout the questions. It started to pick up. And that's one of those things that we love to see, like to get different vibes on the pod. But Ryan, I'm going to give the floor to April real quick to plug anything that she's doing moving forward, anything she's got coming up. We got a crazy weekend too, April. So I know you probably got something cooking up. Let the people know what you're working on, where they can find you, all that stuff. Well, I'm going to be honest, like, I'm more of, let me, let me do, I'm, I'm less, like, let me not talk about it and let me just show you. <sighs> like, that's the type okay. of person, because I don't want to make all these, like, false promises, this, this, and that, you know what I mean? Um, but we always working on something, we always cooking sure. something, we're always manifesting, always working on projects, definitely follow me on my YouTube channel, I have some stuff that I am planning, um, Dropping here soon, closer to the end of the month, the beginning of the month. It's going to be real good. That's Heels on Hardwood. 
Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Heels, also at Heels on Hardwood. Um, constantly giving recaps on our games and so forth. We have Redemption. Hopefully we can beat uh, the Sioux Falls Sky Force. We meet with them again tomorrow, 6.30 Central Time. So hopefully um, we can take that dub. And same thing on Instagram, Heels on, on Hardwood. So, yeah, basically, Heels on Hardwood. Follow me. For sure, for sure. Ryan, solid episode as always, my guy. Fun vibes, G League talks. A lot of great story times as well. Get us about here, bro. We want to thank our guest, April Marie, for coming on and talking some basketball with us as well. It was really fun to get to know you and also just to look into your career as well and hear some of your stories as well because those are some great stories. (laughs) Yeah, it was great to learn about your experiences as as well. And uh, transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what do you guys think of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers season so far? as they make the push to the championship. Hopefully they can win another championship, but this has been a great episode today on the hoop talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.